Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Our topic today is very, very important. We're going to be talking about the impact that indoor air quality can have on students in our schools. And this isn't just an issue during the pandemic. It got a lot of attention during COVID. But indoor air quality was a problem before COVID, and it's still a problem as we wind down the pandemic. And we're going to be talking with two experts today to help us unpack this issue and understand why it's so important for our schools and school districts to pay attention to indoor air quality. Our first guest today is from the U.S. EPA. We're joined by Sheila Brown. Sheila, we are so glad to have you on Go Green Radio. Welcome to the show. Greetings, Jill. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, we sure can. I'd like to start off by having you define what indoor air quality is. Some of our listeners may have never heard of that phrase or that term. So kick us off by helping us understand what it means uh, to pay attention to indoor air quality. What is that? Well, Jill, great question. So indoor air quality is pretty much exactly what it says. The quality of your air (laughs) indoors And it refers also to the quality within and around buildings and structures, especially as it relates to the health and comfort of building occupants. Understanding and controlling common pollutants indoors help reduce your risk of indoor health concerns. Health effects from indoor air pollution can be experienced soon after exposure or possibly years later. Wow, that's that's really important for us to realize that some of these exposures, uh, you know, may have immediate impacts and some may take a while. And we'll we'll unpack that in just a moment. Our next guest is Eric Maldstrom, and he is the CEO of a company called Safe Traces. And Eric, I would love to have you talk to us about why indoor air quality can be so much more harmful to our health than even outdoor air quality. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. Um, so a, a few points on why it's so uh, so much more important and potentially harmful than outdoor. The first is that uh, humans spend a lot of time indoors. We spend 90% of our time indoors at work, at school, at home. And so that is where we spend the bulk of our time. Secondly, indoor environments are um, uh, environments that can trap a number of contaminants and pollutants in a way that if you're outdoors, they spread around, they dilute out in the air. But if you're indoors, then things can not only get into the environment, but stay in the environment and create harmful exposures, uh, which then create health issues and safety issues. The third point is that uh, it's pretty well documented in research that uh, the risk of pathogens and things that can get us sick like COVID and the flu, and then also uh, things like carbon dioxide and particulates not only impact our health and safety, but they also impact our ability to perform our cognitive function and the way that we think and that how productive we are. So, um, so th- there are significant consequences to harmful indoor air quality that then start creating all sorts of other problems for us that are very significant from both a health standpoint and from a financial standpoint. 
Thanks for that, Eric. Good to know. Sheila, I want to go back to you, and I want to focus our attention on indoor air quality in schools. What are some of the short-term and long-term health problems that students may experience when they're exposed to poor indoor air quality in schools? Well, Jill, the the thing to keep in mind (laughs) is that our children are not just not just scaled down adults. Their bodies and behaviors can put them at much higher risk from indoor air quality contaminants. Children breathe proportionately more air and may be more susceptible to pollutants pollutants than adults. Schools Schools, as we know, are often crowded than other indoor spaces. Um, On average, schools have four times the population density of a typical office. Failure to prevent or respond promptly to IQ problems can also increase long and short-term negative health effects for students and staff, such as coughing, (laughs) which I need to do right now, (laughs) (laughs) eye irritation, headaches, allergic reactions, and they also aggravate asthma and other respiratory illnesses. Studies have shown that American children spend approximately 14 million school days every year, or they miss, I'm sorry, because of poor indoor air quality and related medical conditions, such as asthma and allergies. Nearly one in 13 age school children have asthma, which is the leading cause of school absenteeism due to chronic illness. There's substantial evidence that indoor environmental exposure to allergens commonly found in the school, and some of those commonly found allergens are like dust mites, pests, and moles, play a role in triggering asthma symptoms in schools. It's sad because, you know, I have visited a lot of classrooms where a high percentage of the kids have asthma, and it is so difficult to learn and so difficult to teach in an environment where the kids are having trouble breathing. And so these short and long-term health impacts caused by poor indoor air quality really can impact the learning experience. And Eric, I want to have you talk to us more about that. You know, we know that students are in school to learn, but poor indoor air quality can have a negative impact on cognitive ability, as you mentioned. I'd like for you to talk to us about the specific aspect of poor indoor air quality. Sure. So as you mentioned, the, 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 the fundamental uh, value that a school provides is it's a learning environment for our children and students. And in a, a base level of assumption that we should have on any building is that it's not going to get us sick. And unfortunately, many schools uh, do not perform well on that standpoint. Even before COVID, we had very high rates of illness-related absences amongst not only students, but also teachers and staff. And so if someone is sick, then obviously they're going to be resting and it's a time not spent learning. And once you are missing enough school days, then it starts adding up and students start falling behind um, once they're sick enough and um, it becomes a very big problem. So, and, and right now, unfortunately, in the aftermath of COVID, we're seeing across many states unprecedented levels of chronic absenteeism, which is defined as students missing 10% of a school year. In in many states, we're seeing double those rates than we did prior to COVID. Um, The second point is even short of getting sick, 
when we have elevated levels of CO2, elevated levels of particulates, which can come from outdoor pollution or from wildfire smoke um, and other places, then students, uh, the, the, the data and studies show that students are going to perform worse on standardized tests, they're going to get worse grades, and ultimately their academic performance is degraded directly linked to negative indoor air quality. So it, it's pretty damning evidence, and it's something that, um, that you know, in order, if we want to get back to the fundamental mission of our schools is a, a learning environment, they need to be healthy learning environments in order to then have students learn and perform to their best. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to mention the school district where this happened, but we had a school district, you know, with my uh, nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative, that um, was very proud of its energy efficiency levels. And in fact, they had some schools that because of their their data on Energy Star Portfolio Manager were eligible to be Energy Star rated. Um, and so we helped them get a professional engineer, a PE, to come in and do some of the, the monitoring that needs to be done in accordance with that paperwork to apply for an Energy Star rating. And one of the things that the PE found was high, such high levels of CO2 that his monitor was beeping and, and showing an alarm. And one of the things that was so interesting is that when I took this information, this data, to the assistant superintendent of teaching and learning, and furthermore, to the superintendent, who both had doctoral degrees in education, I said, look at these CO2 levels. You know, th this is really this is really bad. They had no frame of reference for what those CO2 levels could mean to the student's ability to learn. They had never been taught that. And so, um, you know, they were kind of slow to react um, and, and to mitigate that high CO2 level because they didn't have any formal training in you know, why that was so bad. But these kids, I, I could observe them falling asleep, getting woozy. The teacher was feeling groggy. And it was really, really a, a bad learning environment um, because of the CO2 levels. Sheila, I want to go back to you. You know, you're with US EPA, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but we sure have a lot of regulatory tools to address poor outdoor air quality. I mean, we regulate it, we monitor it. There's, you know, monetary uh you know, situations where, you know, money will not come to certain areas if they don't adhere to the regulations for outdoor air quality. Why don't we have similar regulatory tools at play to guard against poor indoor air quality? Well, Jill, that's a really deep subject. <laughs> <laughs> um, regulatory authority, Jill, as we know, comes from Congress. So we can only regulate, at EPA, we can only regulate what we have authority granted to us from, from Congress to regulate. And at this point, Congress has not provided regulatory authority for managing indoor air quality in schools. There's wow. no federal regulation governing indoor quality in schools. However, um, uh, on a positive, increasingly states are developing statutes that address indoor air quality and ventilation. So for EPA, we uh, rely on standard setting organizations such as um, we provide on, we get uh, quantitative data, excuse me, from the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating and Air Condition, otherwise known as ASHRAE, and they assist us to provide minimum ventilation rates. 
So I guess the bottom line here is we don't have the authority. It would take an act of Congress or God <laughs> mm-hmm. for, um, for indoor air quality in schools to be regulated. So from a state by state um you know, methodology, is, is that a way that it could be addressed and could be regulated if it were done state by state versus from the federal level on down? That's a deep subject. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, I don't know, I don't know if states would necessarily regulate it, but maybe they would put some policies and practices in place. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys have had some success, you know, uh, working with uh, states that have adopted tools for schools as uh, guidance for, uh, you know, the school districts in their state. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and working with state governments on that? Um, we we have done some work with state. We I'm sorry, repeat your question, Jill. Sure. You know, I know that, you know, EPA has tools for schools and we'll talk about that resource in just a little bit. And you've had some success um, getting tools for schools to become guidelines or guidance for school districts in certain states. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, you've already kind of said it. We've had some success uh, getting tools for schools recognized um, at the state level. But I'd also like to give a quick reflection on how there are, on how certain things can happen, even in the absence of federal regulation, just to kind of go a little bit off topic for real quick. Sure. Um, the EPA's Environmental Tobacco Smoke Program, I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. We didn't have federal regulations regarding smoking indoors and secondhand smoke, but you would, but you wouldn't know that because Um, The landscape today looks much different than it did 20 years ago when it comes to smoking indoors. And that's because as an agency, in the absence of federal regulation, we did the science that classified environmental tobacco smoke as a class A carcinogen. And from there, states, localities and municipalities grabbed the ball and ran with it. Mm -hmm. And so even in the absence of federal regulation, we have seen states and municipality audiences audiences that um, have changed um, restaurant and business policies, housing policies, voluntarily in many cases. Mm-hmm. And there's been a complete change in the way that indoor, there's been a complete change in the way smoking indoors has been handled. And That's again, great that example. Was in the absence of federal regulation. So there are yeah. ways that we can get uh, things done without regulation. Absolutely. That's a great example. Thank you for that, Sheila. Yeah, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have so much more with Eric and Sheila. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all join us. And in case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Eric Malmstrom, the CEO of Safe Traces, and Sheila Brown with US EPA. And we're talking about indoor air quality in schools, why it's a big deal, why we need to pay attention to it on behalf of the well-being of our children. Eric, I want to go to you. You know, there are so many different types of contaminants that can end up in indoor air quality. What aspects of indoor air quality do you recommend that schools monitor? Sure. So there's a couple ways to answer that question. The first is that the, the contaminants in the air can be broken down into three broad categories, uh, solids, gases, and then aerosols. So each one of those, I'll briefly explain, solids are particulates, things uh, that come from indoor pollution or sometimes outdoor pollution getting inside a building. Uh, they come from things like wildfire smoke, they come from other uh, other things like kicking up dirt from a carpet. And so uh, particulates can be monitored by uh, sensors, and sensors are very good at monitoring these types of particulates. So that's definitely something that should be monitored. Gases, um, carbon dioxide, as we talked about previously, is a very important uh, uh, contaminant to monitor because that has been shown to really ha- elevated levels make people sleepy, drowsy, degrade cognitive performance. And so you want your CO2 levels to be managed at certain levels and not going over thresholds where those performance uh, degradation uh, things are, are, are showing themselves. And then the third aspect are aerosols, and those are largely pathogens and respiratory viruses. And sensors and monitors are very good at monitoring gases and solids, but not good at monitoring pathogens. And Pathogens are problematic because those are the things that uh, get us sick and lead to the absences. And those are floating around in the air at very unprecedented levels, not just COVID, 
but flu, the common cold, RSV, strep. And um, so that, that really requires a different type of monitoring approach than the solids and gases that I mentioned. And that's where our company does a lot of work, um, ultimately testing the HVAC systems. And that's the second aspect of what should be monitored. In order to have better air quality within a building or school, you need to have a well-performing HVAC system that is mechanically ventilating and filtering the air and getting these particles out of circulation within the air. And so we strongly recommend not only monitoring for contaminants, but also monitoring your HVAC performance. And you can do that through uh, building control systems and automation systems and various other technologies. And then the final point on this is that uh, just going back to some of the previous comments about the lack of federal um, requirements and regulations regarding indoor air quality, you know, part of your question is what should schools monitor? Well, they're going to be, in my view, forced to monitor things increasingly in the coming years because we are seeing much more political will and action regarding indoor air quality uh, standards and, and ultimately those standards going into building code, which then become a compliance requirement for a building. And traditionally, air quality has not, indoor air quality has not been heavily regulated, but coming out of the COVID experience and then also with wildfire and other climate related indoor air quality challenges we're having, it, m many people, including myself, believe that we're very likely to see much more robust compliance requirements of buildings over the next few years. That's really encouraging. Let me ask you a follow-up on that, Eric, because um, sometimes schools are exempted from things that may be uh, residential or corporate buildings or new construction uh, buildings are are subject to. What is your belief about, you know, we have more existing buildings than we're going to have new construction of schools. Unfortunately, you know, that's, that's a very under-resourced infrastructure item. What is your level of confidence that those kinds of upgrades to building codes, including indoor air quality standards, would pertain to existing schools? I think that it is doing a tremendous disservice to our schools and most importantly, the people within them, including students, teachers, and staff, to exempt them from standards. We would not accept lead in drinking water and saying, well, that's something that we know is a problem, but either we can't do anything about it or we're concerned about the negative uh, perception or publicity around that. Therefore, we're going to let that problem slide. Why would we do that for air quality, uh, indoor air quality, given how important it is? We're being irresponsible by not holding our schools to a higher standard because ultimately it's about the learning environment and the learning environment needs to be healthy. Moreover, uh, given our extensive work in schools, we strongly believe that the schools can achieve the standards if they hold themselves to those standards and if they're supported by society and by people within school districts, ranging from uh, the facility staff, but importantly, the administrators, the board of education, in districts, parents, teachers, and teachers' unions, they should be pushing for this because everyone wins, and the schools, even uh, uh, old schools and schools with old mechanical and HVAC systems, we test. We find, one, they're often not as bad as people would expect, and number mm -hmm. two, 
even if they are poorly performing, they're low-cost, easy ways to uh, improve that performance and get them to what's considered safe operation. But we mm-hmm. should not assume that basically they can't get there because I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. That's very encouraging. Well said, Eric. And I think at the same time that we're all battling to, you know, ensure that all schools are able to meet these standards, let's go ahead and make it mandatory to test for lead in schools water because it's not yet. And I'd really love to see that too. That's one of the issues that we work on quite a bit as well. Sheila, I want to go to you because I know that EPA does a fantastic job with this resource tools for schools in helping schools identify preventative measures, uh, ways to keep contaminants out of indoor air quality. Talk to us about some of those preventative measures. Um, Well, some of the preventative measures that we have can be found in um, our framework for effective IQ management and also our technical solutions for effective IQ management. And we also have a document entitled Preventive Maintenance. And preventive maintenance has a tremendous range of benefits. Uh, Preventive maintenance focuses on the interconnection of indoor air quality, preventive maintenance, and um, as been as we mentioned before uh, previously in this segment, energy efficiency and how to manage the relationship between these three areas to produce healthy, reliable, efficient school buildings. So our goal is to help school personnel to understand this, to take a proactive approach, not to be reactive or to be less reactive mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and to uh, establish your preventive maintenance measures that avert um, things before they become problems. Mm -hmm. And so uh, speaking of COVID, uh, one of the recommendations that came out of our COVID response materials dealt with um, increasing ventilation, enhanced filtration, and when necessary, adding supplemental air cleaners. Yeah, that was great guidance. And I have to say, you know, tools for schools is something you can easily find by Googling it. And it's it has been my organization's favorite resource to get to schools when they want to tackle this issue. And it's been kept updated. It's a fantastic, comprehensive program. So uh, if you are with the school district looking to tackle these issues, it's a very common sense, practical approach. Tools for schools from US EPA. Eric, I want to give you a chance to talk about what your company, Safe Traces, offers to schools. How do you help schools when they want to tackle indoor air quality? Sure. So Safe Traces is a biotech company based in California that um, has developed a novel technology for performance testing, verifying, and commissioning HVAC systems and air cleaners within buildings. Um, so we, we've developed a water-based aerosol uh, and then put a DNA tag in it, so a segment of DNA, using safe materials that basically uh, creates a water mist that simulates a respiratory emission of someone who is sick, but it's all safe and uh, sterile materials. But basically, we go into uh, buildings and we do a lot of work in schools pretending that there's a sick person within a classroom or within an administrative area or a cafeteria. And then we are performance testing how well the HVAC system and air cleaners are removing those particles and reducing the risk of exposure to Mm. others who are not sick. And um, 
this this type of testing is not really happening in in many buildings today. Um, you, there, many buildings are designed and built, and then they are subject to very light uh, compliance requirements. And so, this is obviously something that COVID put the spotlight on. And now there's much more concern and awareness regarding uh, safe operations of buildings. And so what we do is we provide what we call kind of an annual building checkup, similar to a a car. You know, once you buy it and drive it off the lot, um, every year you should be taking it to a mechanic to get it tuned up, checked up, change the oil, make sure that it's still working well. And over time, we know that the car's performance is going to degrade. Well, buildings are the same way. Once we build them, you know, buildings are generally uh, occupied for decades. The average age of a school in the U.S. is 50 years. Um, and in some cases, those buildings are 75 and 100 years old. Mm-hmm. They need to be tested regularly to ensure that things are safe. And so we'll go into a building, do a tune-up checkup, provide data regarding how well the systems are performing um, against uh, CDC and ASHRAE. Um, the, the standard setting body for the HVAC industry, you know, against their standards. And then mm-hmm. we'll give the building a kind of data to show them either they're meeting those standards or they're not and identify areas that are deficient and give them recommendations on how they can improve. That is fantastic. And what a competitive edge. I mean, a lot of our public schools and many of our urban areas are, you know, they're they're competing with charter schools and private schools. And to be able to say our air passes the test. I mean, it's healthy and kids are learning in this space. Um, that's that's an amazing uh, brand of confidence to give to parents when they have choices about where to send their kids. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We have so much more to talk about with Eric and Sheila. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. 
From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're talking about indoor air quality in schools and why it is so important for school districts to pay attention to this vital issue. It impacts kids' health and it impacts their cognitive ability or their ability to learn. And Sheila, I want to go to you. I want to know how are children in environmental justice communities more susceptible to poor indoor air quality than children in areas that have cleaner outdoor air. Talk to us about that. Well, that's another deep subject and very dear to my heart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it's particularly important for schools and environmental justice communities to address indoor air quality because a lot of times the schools and, and environmental justice communities are sited near outdoor pollution sources such as roadways and industrial facilities. And if we don't manage the indoor air correctly, the outdoor air problems become the indoor air problems. So good indoor air quality management is intended to mitigate those outdoor pollutants through filtration, dilution, um, with improved ventilation, and removing contaminants, and also supporting uh, the air with supplemental air cleaning and stopping the pollutants at the door, coming through the window with source control measures that we detail in our various guidance. They're low cost, um, sometimes no cost uh, preventions that we can take to to address indoor air quality management. And this is particularly important in environmental justice communities. Absolutely, and I love the fact that U.S. EPA's Tools for Schools program, I mean, it's almost as if you had environmental justice communities in mind when that resource was created, because these really are um, accessible solutions for every school district, regardless of their budget. Um, As you said, many of the solutions are low or no cost, and it really makes it it possible for school districts in all communities Um, to be able to protect their students from poor indoor air quality. And I so appreciate EPA's work on that. Eric, I want to go to you. How does Safe Traces technology help schools use data to make decisions about how to manage indoor air quality? Because it's not just a, a set it and forget it kind of thing. I mean, conditions can change. HVAC systems need to respond. Talk to us about how you help school districts have the kind of data they need to make good decisions. Sure. Well, one of the, the most important steps and in, in, in in the first step in improving your indoor air quality is understanding your current baseline. 
Um, and many schools, unfortunately, do not understand their current baseline. So they, and in some cases, they may not even have an inventory of what types of HVAC equipment they have, its age, very basics. But then uh, for even if you have that information, you need to understand where is your environment performing today? And that's where we help. We give them a baseline by doing what's called a ventilation verification assessment. And we'll go into high occupancy areas of a building um, where you have more people within a room for extended periods of time and where the risk of one person being sick uh, or contaminants being in that room kind of exposing more uh, people and, and things spreading around is greatest. And we'll tell them, you know, we'll give them a pass-fail bar linked to CDC and ASHRAE guidelines saying that the, the space is either performing to that level and then they get a kind of green or a thumbs up or they're not. And then we identify deficient areas, uh, see how deficient they are, and then give them a, an action plan to improve things, starting with low cost within your existing capabilities. What can you do to improve things? And and so that's and then in some cases we find what's called overperformance or overventilated spaces where you're getting too much ventilation, and you can dial it down a little bit and realize the cost and energy savings. And and that gets to I think the the double value of understanding your baseline. One, you're fixing the problem areas. But two, you're identifying overperforming areas and seeing potential utility savings and energy savings back to the district so that it's not just money out the door. And I think, you know, once you have a strong baseline of data, then that gives you the foundation to figure out across a portfolio of school facilities, which are good, okay, and bad. And then where do you want to flow money? You know, every school district has budget constraints and they're going to have to make choices about where they're going to spend their capital budget and then where they're going to devote their operations and maintenance resources to fix things. And so once you have data, you're not shooting in the dark. You have data to then guide critical decision making and then ultimately make improvements systematically across the school district. And all this stuff is very important for facilities, but then ultimately why it's important to the district is once you improve air quality, then you're drawing down the student absenteeism, you're getting the student performance up, and you're ultimately um, providing things that have both academic and financial value back to the school district, which is really important in these very budget-constrained days. So data is fundamental to all of those benefits. Well said. That that's exciting, and and I love to hear you talk about the the way that you can guide schools with data. I think that's so important. I mean, we we use data for so many things in schools, test scores, and what have you. But uh, having this data around a fundamental need um, around indoor air quality is is really really exciting. Sheila, I mentioned this earlier that I I work with a lot of senior educators with, you know, the Go Green Initiative, and we work with school districts all all across the country. And I work with folks who are well-educated and smart, and they have master's and they have doctorate degrees in education, um, but they've never received any formal training in the importance of good indoor air quality in schools. I would like to know, you know, from your vantage point, what can be done to ensure that senior school district administrators, who are the ones most likely to be able to drive change um, are well educated in how to handle indoor air quality in the schools that they lead. Um, well, Jill, I'd like to um, start by kind of echoing what Eric and you just talked about about 
um, how we have to um, assess the environment, how we have to do walkthroughs to thoroughly assess um, the school environment. And those walkthroughs and assessing, that can get us the baseline that we need, that can get us the data that we need to make the case to understand your facilities and your equipment. So I really love um, or really like um, the fact about assessing and doing the walkthroughs and then using that to organize and communicate, to plan and to act and to evaluate um, evaluate your school buildings and what the facility looks like. And so your question about um, getting people to, <laughs> to sort of pay attention to this, um, one of the first key drivers in our framework for effective school IQ management speaks to organize, how you organize around your IQ efforts. And one of the main strategies under the organized driver is to obtain senior leadership buy-in. That includes inviting them to the IQ team, incorporating indoor air quality or IQ into the school's district mission, developing a value proposition and business case for your written comprehensive IQ management plan. And we have to learn the language and levers that senior administrators respond to and that we can use in making the case for good indoor air quality and environmental health in schools. So it's, it's speaking to them um, in a succinct, uh, comprehensive way uh, about the things that they that they care about and cost and student absenteeism and other things are on the top of their list. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's so true. That's so true. Speaking their language is absolutely vital. And and I'd just like to put a plug out there and I've done it before and I'll do it again. I'll keep doing it until I see this happen. But you know, for all of those folks out there who might be involved in the college of education at our universities and colleges around. Uh, the U.S., I mean, let's, can we please put this in the curriculum? <laughs> well, we're preparing someone to become a superintendent or we're preparing someone to become a senior district administrator or facilities director. Um, let's include indoor air quality. I mean, I, I shouldn't be showing a, a CO2 monitor to a senior district official and saying, look at this. And they have no frame of reference for knowing why that's bad uh, and why that's negatively impacting children's ability to learn. Um, you know, we're, we're training up, uh, you know, folks to become the experts in student learning and, you know, indoor air quality has such a huge impact on that. So let's train them well and let's make sure that this is part of the curriculum. Um, I know that there are other aspects of, of sustainability being infused into curriculum for educators, school gardens and, uh, you know, climate change literacy and things like that. But um, this this could have such a huge impact on the learning and the lifelong outcomes of our students. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Eric Malmstrom, the CEO of Safe Traces, and Sheila Brown with US EPA. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today as we talk about the importance of indoor air quality in our schools. Eric, I want to give you a chance to talk about some of your case studies of success in U.S. school districts. It's one thing for us to talk about indoor air quality monitoring and management in a theoretical sense, but let's talk about how it really works on the ground and and tell us your story. Sure. So uh, this week we made a very big announcement that Clark County School District in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is the fifth largest school district in the country with nearly uh, 320,000 students and uh, nearly 400 schools, just a a little bit under that, achieved our UL verified ventilation and filtration mark, which is our annual testing program that um, goes through, inspects the building, and then if the high occupancy areas of the building are clearing the CDC and UL um, guidelines, then the building gets a sticker on it. And uh, interestingly, this program, we've uh, been focused on corporate uh, work over the past couple of years. And we've had some major clients like Goldman Sachs and and Waymo and, and other Fortune 100 type companies. But back to your question earlier about, well, should schools be held to the standard too? My answer was yes. A part of my answer was because I know they can achieve it. And interestingly, Clark County, not only is it a big school district, but they prioritized uh, the transformation network schools, which had been identified by the superintendent and board of ed as being underserved and needing extra resources. And we went into those schools and we tested. Uh, uh, many of those schools passed right out of the gate. Not all of them did, but we found that even in the schools that did not pass, there are pretty modest, low-cost things they could do to improve things. And uh, ultimately, we announced that Clark County got this very coveted mark, you know, that's linked to health and wellness and safety within a building. And it has been a huge win for the district, not only from a PR standpoint and being very powerful in their communication to 
students and student families and parents to teachers and teachers unions and to other officials in the district. But importantly, um, it, it was not only a health and safety uh, argument that they justified this program for, but they linked it back to things that are more financial in nature and how this is going to help them basically strengthen their budget by ensuring better attendance levels, better performance, and things that they are incentivized that are going to directly impact their budget. And so obviously they care about the health and healthy learning environment first and foremost, but they also view this as a good business decision. And that's, I think, the takeaway for me and our work for other school districts. This is a smart economic and financial decision for them that pays itself back in orders of magnitude, but it takes leadership and prioritization and ultimately the conviction and confidence that you can get this done. And I'm excited for this story to uh, go out further and wider and see more school districts, given what a universal problem this is with air quality, indoor air quality, you know, adopt this type of approach. So it's been very powerful and we're, we're super excited. And um, yeah, I, I, I look forward to building on this. That is fantastic. Congratulations to both Safe Traces and Clark County Schools. That's amazing. Sheila, I want to ask you the same question. You've had tools for schools out on the books for a long time. It's a tremendous resource, as we've talked about. Talk to us about some of your case studies of success. Um, Thank you, Jill. So um, on our website, there is a resource that's entitled Envisioning Excellence, IQ Strategies in Action, the Framework for Effective School IQ Management. In this document, you will see some exemplary districts recognized as previous IQ Tools for Schools Excellence Award winners. They serve on our faculty for our webinars. They are highlighted in our case studies and our guidance and outreach materials. You will find some of their step-by-step actions that they've implemented successfully in their school districts to build effective and enduring indoor air quality management programs, just to name a t- just to name two. Um, when you and also when you visit our website and view our on-demand technical assistance webinars, you will find success stories like the Blue Valley School District in Kansas that track their academic performance improvements back to their written IEQ plan or program. And the Northeast Independent School District in San Antonio, Texas, who attributed a reduction in asthma absenteeism to their written IQ management plan or program, and then monetize the results in terms of action dollars saved in the district. There are many examples of schools and school districts on the continuum of success. That is fantastic. I I have to give a shout out as well to a program that I just love, and it's Sustainable Jersey for Schools, a program in the state of New Jersey to help schools with a number of different sustainability aspects. And they have incorporated tools for schools as part of the uh, mechanism by which schools can earn points towards that award. And I've, I've personally worked with both Newark and Camden, uh, their, their public school districts in both of those New Jersey cities. And uh, both of them have been inspired um, to to implement some of the, the checklists and some of the resources in tools for schools. And so uh, it's just a, a case in point that school districts in urban, rural, suburban uh, contexts can all succeed using this resource. 
Eric, I want to go back to legislation because it's it's a continual burr in my saddle. <laughs> and so I want to ask you if we could, or maybe I should say when we do enact legislation that regulates indoor air quality in schools, what standards do you hope will be included? Sure. So on, on um, regulation, I think it's important to mention that the rubber really meets the road in building code and health code. And those codes are often governed at the state and local level. Mm -hmm. And the, the importance of those codes are once a standard is written into a code, then it carries the weight of code and the law and it carries enforcement uh, capabilities and there's a cost to not complying. And I think that's what um, we need to focus on. The, the federal policy is very important in other aspects, but in terms of actually uh, holding buildings accountable and more accountable, we need to focus on code. And that's a very local and state game. And then in terms of what those codes should have in them, uh, we have some very good existing indoor air quality standards that one, one of which has been on the books for some time and a new one that should be integrated into code. And the, the first one is ASHRAE 62.1, which is a longstanding indoor air quality standard um, that is voluntary. And so many codes do not have ASHRAE 62.1 as a requirement. That should change, and that should be something that schools and other buildings have as part of their design and operating requirements. And then the second is a new standard called ASHRAE Standard 241, which was uh, published in in uh, July of this past year. And it specifically addresses the control of infectious aerosols, which was not in the scope of ASHRAE 62.1. And this is really important because it gets uh, uh, to the, the way that we protect ourselves from respiratory viruses, which are very damaging and harmful. And I think that codes should put ASHRAE 62.1 and 241. They're there. They're ready to be adopted. And I think those would help improve things a lot. And the way that the code is going to reflect those standards is by public pressure. Um, mm -hmm. People in their communities need to put this in front of the people who set the code and their legislators to make it clear that this is a priority. If people don't care and they don't say anything, then nothing will change. So this is where the call to action to the audience and people who care about this, you know, look at who sets building and health code in your local area and talk with your local legislators at the state and municipal level and county level and tell them that this needs to happen. That would be my advice. And that should be directed in many cases to the State Department of Education. They are the ones who set ed code. Yes. And ultimately, that's where, you know, the the ability to. Well said, Eric, you got the last word. I want to thank Eric and I want to thank Sheila for being with us today. Uh, this is a truly important topic for the health, well-being and ability to learn. Uh, for our students here in, in the good old U.S. of A. And so I hope that you will all take this and share it with others so that we can get some things done uh, to protect children from poor and indoor air quality in schools. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.